I've been fascinated for many years with this concept of success, whether it's uh, in business, in relationships, in wealth terms, monetary terms, whether it's relating to a sporting accomplishment. Success um, seems to elude so many of us and appear so easily achieved for others. So I'm going to do a series of podcasts, I'm not sure how many yet, that just break down different aspects of success. Um, I personally love stories of people who've made it from rags to riches or people who have beaten all the odds to achieve uh, miraculous things. And if we're not careful, although it's inspiring, the downside is we tend to think these things are only possible for people with um, extraordinary abilities or um, extraordinary talent. So... I want to perhaps break some of those myths down using research and studies that have been uh, performed by others. Um, But at the same time, this podcast comes with a warning. You know, there's good news and bad news in some of these studies. The good news is that perhaps some of the myths we believe about talent being so important and the key ingredient in our riding ability um, may not be the case. Um, but the, the corollary fact that is the case is, you know, some, some serious amount of hours of perfecting our skills and our art may well be what is required to replace um, our perception of, of talent if, uh, if that myth is now to be broken. So let me um, carry on now and, and talk you through a study that was done in the 1990s um, that looks at this concept of achievement is talent plus preparation and then um, you know, we'll see what conclusion we can draw at the end um, that might be helpful for us as budding and enthusiastic horse riders. So the problem with the view of achievement is talent plus preparation is that the closer psychologists have looked at the careers of the gifted, the smaller the role of innate talent seems to play and the bigger the role preparation seems to play. So, so far that sounds like pretty good news, right? Because preparation is something we can choose to do or not, something that is within our control or not. The study that I want to refer to was done in the early 1990s by a psychologist called Kay Anders Ericsson and uh, some of his colleagues at Berlin's Elite Academy of Music. To cut a long story short, with the help of the academy's professors, they divided the school's violinists into three groups. The first group were the stars, the students with the potential to become world-class soloists. The second group were those judged to be merely good. And the third were the students who were unlikely to ever play professionally and who intended to become music teachers in the public school system. All of the violinists were then asked the same question. Over the course of your entire career, Ever since you first picked up the violin, how many hours have you practiced? The students who would end up in the best group in their class began to practice more than everyone else. Six hours a week by the age of nine, eight hours a week by the age of 12, and 16 hours a week by the age of 14, and up and up and up, until the age of 20, they were practicing that is purposefully and single-mindedly playing their instruments with the intent to get better, well over 30 hours a week. In fact, by the age of 20, the elite performers had each totaled 10,000 hours of practice. By contrast, the merely good students had totaled 8,000 hours, and the future music teachers had totaled just over 4,000 hours. Now, Ericsson and his colleagues then compared amateur pianists with professional pianists as a comparison to the violinists. The same pattern emerged. 
the amateurs never practiced more than about three hours a week over the course of their childhood. And by the age of 20, they had totaled 2,000 hours of practice. The professionals, on the other hand, steadily increased their practice time, practice time every year until by the age of 20, they, just like the violinists, had reached 10,000 hours. The research suggests that once a musician had enough ability to get into top music school, the thing that distinguishes one performer from another is how hard he or she works. That's it. And what's more, the people at the very top don't work just harder or even much harder than everyone else. They work much, much harder. The idea, therefore, that excellence at performing a complex task requires a critical minimum level of practice surfaces again and again in studies of expertise. Researchers have now settled, therefore, on what they believe is the magic number for true expertise, 10,000 hours. And I'm sure many of us listening to this podcast have heard this said before, that there's this magic 10,000 hours. Well, it's not magic anymore. The, the number comes from these scientific studies that were done in the 1990s. So the picture emerging is that 10,000 hours of practice is required to achieve the level of mastery associated with being a world-class expert in anything. And that's according to neurologist da Daniel Levitin. So when they studied composers, basketball players, fiction writers, ice skaters, concert pianists, chess players, and even master criminals, <laughs> that's the number they came up with again and again. Of course, that doesn't address why some people get more out of their practice sessions than others do. But no one yet has found a case in which true world-class expertise was accomplished in less time. It seems that it takes the brain this long to assimilate all that is needed to know to achieve true mastery. So also looking at chess players, to become a chess grandmaster seems to take about 10 years. And what's 10 years? Well, it's roughly how long it takes to put in 10,000 hours of hard practice. Again, 10,000 hours is the magical number of greatness. So if you've wondered where this 10,000 hours come, comes from, I hope now that I've given you um, some insight into its, its source and its um, credibility. So I just thought for a moment, well, what does that look like for, for us average riders? Now, when I was uh, growing up, I wanted to be a professional rider and, and I haven't done so. But let's just take an example. Let's say that the peak of my ambition was around my 20s. And so if we take the chess grandmaster example, then I've got 10 years in which to try and uh, achieve that magic 10,000 numbers. So what would that breakdown to look like? Well, between my 20s and 30s, then um, that decade, I would have to put in 1,000 hours each year of dedicated practice. And remember, that was practice that was all aimed at not just repetition, but actually aimed at constant improvement. So 1,000 hours per year. That's 19 hours each week. And that equates to 2.7 hours, so just under three hours per day. Now, I don't know about you, but in my 20s and 30s, I was working full time. Um, I was living abroad, traveling around the world. So getting three hours a week on a horse was um, extremely challenging, never mind three hours a day. So this is where we then start to see the good news is it's not about some innate talent and some extraordinary gift. It is about preparation, hard work and putting in the hours. 
And the bad news? It's hard to put in the hours unless we happen to be just dedicated to riding all day. So the opportunity, perhaps, is to find ways of substituting and, and, and making up those three hours um, of time in the, in the saddle. Um, and perhaps one of the ways we can do that is using mental visualisation. You may have heard people say, sports coaches say, that if you're rehearsing a dressage test, you must rehearse it in your mind's eye in real time. So if the test lasts two minutes and 10 seconds, your mental visualization of you running through that test should take you two minutes and 10 seconds. So we've got to spend three hours a day in, in the saddle on our horse, either physically for an hour, an hour and a half or, or half an hour. And the rest of that time we've got to that deficit, we've got to make up. So let's make it up mentally. So in a future podcast, I will share some thoughts on visual uh, rehearsals and mental preparation. But for now, I want to leave you with the thought that the good news is we don't have to be extraordinarily talented and gifted. Um, The slight downside is we do need time on our side. But let's be creative about how we can find that time and make that time work for us.